So we have been in a series on 2 Corinthians, and again, if you are new with us, uh, we are not a complicated church. We don't necessarily believe, necessarily believe in trying to gather a bunch of people to have an event every Sunday. Uh, we just simply want to know Jesus, we want to follow him, and we want to serve him. And God has given us his word, and these 66 books here, and he has given this to us so that we may know him, uh, that we may follow him, and that we learn what it means to serve him with our lives. And so we gather every week just looking at this, what does it say, what does it mean for us, and what does it mean for my, my life? And so uh, our, our purpose, our desire is to be authentic in, in seeking after God, to have a pure and simple devotion of Jesus. And so we've been looking at this, this book, 2 Corinthians, we're almost done with it, uh, with the desire that God would speak to us, God would mold, God would shape us through it. It's a book that has, has very um, active application to our life because it's a book that was written to a people uh, who were in a nation, a city, that was full of immorality. It was written to a church that was dysfunctional. Um, it was written to a people who were having problems and suffering under things, and it answers a lot of questions for us. Now, if you've been tracking along with this for a while, uh, Paul has been calling this church back to himself because this church that he planted in Corinth began to reject him as an apostle. They rejected his authority, he rejected his leadership in favor of some people who were using them for their own means and their own gain. And Paul, for the last few chapters, has been doing something that he did not want to do, but had to do, uh, in order to win back these Corinthians out of the grasp of the abusers that were in their midst. Now, these abusers were teaching false things to the people, were fleecing them for their finances, and leading the people in all sorts of disarray. And Paul, uh, not wanting to promote himself, began to brag about himself. Not so that he can uplift his own image, but so that the people could see the error of their ways. And at the end of all this, Paul makes a statement uh, that is uh, seared in the minds of many Christians because it's a statement that really, really resonates. And it's, it is just a lot of hope. Paul, wrestling with this thorn in his flesh, uh, this minister of Satan he calls, uh, this handicap in his life as a believer, something that was painful and difficult for him to deal with, that God would not take away, that made Paul weak, made him uh, not sh strong and powerful, it made him weak. And he prayed about it and God responded to him saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will gladly all the more boast in my weakness. For when I'm weak, God is strong. 
And the amazing thing about the truth that we looked at last week is that there are no Christians too weak to be powerfully used by God. There are many people who are too strong. But God uses the weak. God uses those who don't have it all together. Amen to that. It's a good thing because I don't have it all together. God uses those who are imperfect to work out his perfect plan. And that is such a relief. Because we get caught in this trap that starts with good intentions but then ends up in slavery. I want to live for the Lord. I want to do all the right things. I want to do all this awesome stuff. I'm going to be the best Christian around. But then my desire shifts from trusting, depending, and clinging on Jesus and his sufficiency and what he has done for me into how I have to work harder and harder and harder to be a good person to be upstanding, to do all the right things, to manage and control all the things around me so that the picture of me before other people shows someone who is a righteous, religious person. And that trap, I say it's a trap, and that slavery ends up producing the wrong thing. But when I'm seeking after the Lord and I'm trusting him and I'm relying on him and I'm taking my weakness to him and I'm taking my my place where I'm at to him, my wrestling, my struggle, my pain, my difficulty to the Lord, then he becomes strong in me. So Paul, speaking to these, this church that he planted, that he fathered in a sense, that are rejecting him, doesn't come back and say, you have to believe that I'm your, I'm your spiritual father. You have to follow what I say. He says, look, I'm weak. I can't even maintain my own authority amongst you guys. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Because in my weakness, God's going to show his power. So I will follow through some things that I wasn't intending to do because I love you and I want to build you up. And he writes this, chapter 12, verse 11. I have been a fool. You forced me into it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles. Even though I am nothing, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong. Here for a third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I will seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for the children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself didn't burden you, I was crafty, you say, and I got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent you? 
I urged Titus to go and sent <coughs> the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? <coughs> Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It is in sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may not find you as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there will be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and might have to mourn over, those, over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. See, Paul's writing to them in his desire was to build up the Corinthians not use them for his own advantage. My clicker's not work, working. Could we advance the next slide? Um, Paul ended this whole tirade, this whole, this whole discussion on how his, his credentials as an, as an apostle and someone who should be heard. Right? These super apostles were coming in. They're saying, don't listen to Paul. He's weak. He doesn't, he's not very eloquent. Uh, he, he's, he's sickly looking. Um, and you know what? He's not even valuable enough to be paid for what he does. So don't, don't listen to him, right? He was here, and he was preaching, and he had to work as a tent maker. But we're getting paid, so you, you got to listen to us. And Paul, going through all of this, comes back to, look, you made me be a fool. You, you made me speak of all these things that God was doing in my life, and I did it not so that I can take something from you, but I did it because I love you and I want you back walking in a way that's healthy for you. I did it because I don't seek the things that you have, I seek you. Paul desired to build up the Corinthians in their faith. He did not want to use them for his own advantage. And these super apostles were doing the opposite. They came in to pray on a people and fleeced them for what they had. Now, Paul um, begins with this to remind them of what started in the beginning when he came and showed the signs of a true apostle. Which signs, wonders, miraculous things. We don't really have an account of all these things that happened, but clearly the God was at work when he established the church in Corinth. I mean, a city that was just running in the opposite direction of God. A, a city whose name became synonymous with debauchery and immorality, became a slang word. To Corinthianize, right, is, is something like, it's a bad thing. And, and Paul's saying, look, guys, you should have I should have been commended by you. I shouldn't have had to say all these things for myself. But I'm doing it not to build me up again in your eyes, but again to further build you up. To remove the people who are in your midst 
who are causing you harm and causing you disruption and causing you disorder and leading you astray into all sorts of things that are destructive to the body of Christ. Look, I had all these things when I came there. You remember them. But I didn't take money from you. And Paul kind of like sarcastically says, forgive me this wrong. I didn't take your money. I'm sorry. And he goes, look, I'm not going to do it anyways when I come back. Because I know the need that you have. You're my child. You're different than the other people. The other churches that I planted have supported me along the way. But Corinth specifically, I was not supported by. And I made an effort not to do that. Because you guys are wealthy. You, you have a tendency to think that you can buy your salvation. You can pay for what I'm bringing. And if you have that mindset, it's going to do you no good. So I want to do what's best for you and work free of charge so that you can receive the gospel free of charge. And you can see that your wealth does not produce your righteousness. See, Paul, Paul wanted to build them up. There's two uh, allegories that are metaphors that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians of the church. One is a bride, and then one is a child. In chapter, um, chapter 11, 2 through 3, he says, For I feel, I feel divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray by from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He sees her as a bride, but he also sees her as a child. He whom is, is a parent. says, I will not be a burden, for I seek not what's yours but you. For children are not ob obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And I'll most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? See, both of these metaphors describe something about Paul and his viewership of what his mission on earth was and what he was to do with the church. He did not see the church as something he owned or something that provided some type of benefit for him. He saw the church as a stewardship. I, I see you guys as, as a bride, and I'm not your husband. Paul's calling himself a bridesmaid. I'm here to help you be adorned for your husband. I'm here to help you be set aside for your husband. He sees them as children. I'm your spiritual father. But a father is only a steward of his children. We don't have ownership of them. But God gives children to parents as gifts to steward. They are not intended to be in your basement at 47 years old, living off of your dime. God gives children to you for a season and the goal of every loving parent is that their child would be self-sufficient. 
to be independently dependent on Jesus, to be able to have children of their own, to be able to serve and provide for someone else. So when I have a child in my house, I don't expect them to pay me. Now, I'd like a little love and respect every once in a while, but that's not necessary for me to do my job. My job is to help that person grow first in their knowledge of who God is. Lead them in every way possible that I can to know him for themselves. And then teach them to stand on their own. And man, it's a lot of sacrifice. It's a stewardship. Paul, looking at this church, is saying, look, you guys are not here to fulfill any needs that I have. Need for significance? I don't need to get that from the church. Need for provision? I don't need to get that from the church. Need for safety and security? I don't need to get that from you guys. I don't need you about my reputation. I don't need any of that. What I need is to do the work that God has called me to do and to love you. Because jealousy, strife, slander, conceit, disorder, disunity has all been brought up in the church and is threatening to fracture it. And the mission of God to rescue and redeem lost people is threatened. So we have to stop these things. We have to change these things. We have to get our minds back on the same, the one Jesus we trusted in at the first. And following him in wholehearted, simple devotion. Not looking after all these different things, sensuality, licentiousness, lust, anger, greed, all these sins that we think are going to bring us fulfillment in the moment but only bring destruction, not only to ourselves, but people around us. But we need to change our mind about that, walk away from that, and go to the God who actually fulfills us. So he's trying to build them up. He's trying to help them see where true life is, what God desires for his church. So he gives, he spends, he acts like a father. He acts like a steward because he loves them. This brings out a principle. Mature disciples lay down their preferences in order to help other disciples develop. Those who are mature lay down their preferences to help others become mature. What's the Great Commission? This is not rhetorical. You can go ahead and say it. Amen. Go into the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded them. That's a com commission. It's called the Great Commission. It's just for the apostles. And those who went to seminary. No, it's for all of us. 
we are called to steward this incredible, priceless gift that we have received. And we're called to take that and transfer it to someone else so that they may know the same joy that we know. Because when we fully understand the ramifications of what the gospel has done with us, we'll go back into chapter 5, we'll go back throughout all of 2 Corinthians because it changes our entire life. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Go into Romans. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. God provides for his children. God cares for his children. We read this morning, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you. He is a father to you. The one who made the universe upholds the stars, knows them all by name. We don't even know how many there are. And he knows them all by name. Cares for you, loves you, provides for you, knows you, and is with you and for you. So if that's the case, do I need to find fulfillment and things around me. No, I don't. I am free to give up minor things in order to love other people so that they can experience the same joy that I've received in Jesus and help them understand what it means to walk before him. That I don't have to be perfect, that he knows what we are but dust, that he knows our frame, he knows our thoughts, he knows our actions, and he's provided for it. He's forgiven it, really forgiven it. That he's okay when music plays randomly in the church while you're talking. You see, Paul's description of a parent being obligated to give to his children, I, th I think it's really, it's just a really powerful illustration. Because I, I don't expect any of my kids to pay me back for the gifts I give them, for the roof I've put over their head, for the vacations we get to go on, I'm not saying, hey, let's go to Chick-fil-A. You, you guys got any money for gas? I don't expect any of that. I hope to have some respect. Like, as a parent, I get to set the ground rules of my house. I get to set what, what my house looks like and how we live and what we strive after. But minor things that are not producing the stuff that I would like to see in them mean nothing to me. I got my music preferences. My kids are a little bit different. 
Sometimes we listen to songs that aren't necessarily things that I want to listen to, but they help them know who Jesus is. So I'm okay with it. They help them know that they are loved. So I'm okay with it. Some of the movies we watch are family movie night. Man, not my favorite movie. But Homeboy wants to watch it five times in a row. So fine, we'll watch it. Because minor things I'm able to just let go of. Because it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that my children know that they are loved. What matters to me is that my children are provided for. What matters to me is that my children will ultimately know who Jesus is. So I give up. And mature disciples do the same thing. Paul did not want to brag about himself. Even when he did, he was not bragging about himself. And I know a man who went up to third heaven. Um, I'm a fool for doing this. I'm not, in, I'm not, these super apostles are not superior to me. I'm not inferior to them, although I'm nothing. But all these things I didn't want to do, I'm doing for your sake because I love you. We live our lives as believers looking for ways to reach other believers to call them back to the truth. Now we can springboard off in a lot of discussions about a, a different things that happen in churches, but right now we're in a season in our nation where a lot of churches are closing. Left and right, they're closing, closing, closing. And we can sit here and we can start blaming CNN and Fox News or whatever the culture but the reality is that those things had nothing to do with the close of those churches. It's consistent with every church that closes its doors that there was an evaluation over preference and style over function. Because we were looking to receive our comfort, our fulfillment from gathering together at our place on Sunday. And that attitude brings death to a place. It's the attitude of saying there are certain biblical standards that we are called to follow. That's good. But the color of the chairs, the order of the service, the songs that we sing, An overemphasis on those things is destructive to the things of God. Now, I'm not saying that's happening here. 
Because I'm looking out at a lot of people who are giving up a lot so that another generation may know Christ. They know and follow him. I'm looking at a lot of people who've spent their lives loving people to Jesus. But I think there's a lot of areas in our life that we hold on to that keep us from being effective. Like we're called to biblical fidelity. Paul even calls out the sin that he does not want to see when he comes to Corinth. He calls out these different quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. What does that mean? You guys need to stop doing that. You need to be honest, truthful, loving, forbearing, patient, generous, joyful. You need to exercise those things. There is sin. But minor things I don't care about. I want you. I want your heart. And Paul showcasing the reality of his fulfillment found in Christ frees him to give to these people. Frees him to give and not worry about his misunderstanding and reputation. Final point here is, point here is when, when we find our fulfillment in Christ, we are free to give and be misunderstood. But Paul, as you read this, verse 19, he says, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, upbuilding beloved. Even in my boasting, my bragging, I'm speaking of you, I'm, I'm all these misunderstandings. It's not about you, it's not about me. And you may misunderstand me and that's okay. But I will do what I believe God has called me to do because I love you. And even when I come, I hope this is not the, the case. I fear it that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. And you may find me not as you wish. Right? Paul's, Paul is ready to confront. Paul is ready to make enemies in a sense. Paul is ready to come to the church and do what he hopes not he, has, he doesn't have to do, but to create necessary division in the church so that the church could be successful and healthy. But he hopes not. Paul's not concerned about what they think about him. Paul's not concerned about their opinion of him. He's confident that the Lord is the righteous judge. So he does what he can to help the people know what they're called to be. But he doesn't do this, I want you to notice, he doesn't do this in a demeaning, angry way. He doesn't lash out at people for their sinful behavior. 
He doesn't stand with with the air of superiority over them, but he gently calls them back. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality they have practiced. I fear that I will have to mourn over these things. Now, I want you to listen. All of these things were happening in Corinth when he wrote this letter. Jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder. All of those things were happening when he wrote 1 Corinthians. Paul's not rejecting the people because they have sinful behavior in their life. He's calling them back to trusting the Lord and following him. Paul even says that I might have to mourn, not that you did these things, but that you're unrepentant of it. See, the real issue with sin It's not that we engage in acts that we should not engage in, which newsflash is all of us. The issue is that we don't repent of them. The issue is that we don't change our mind about what we're doing and what we're striving and what we're seeking after. Because we believe that these things would bring us satisfaction. Paul's true desire in building up the church was to have the opposite of these things. Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder. He wanted people getting along He wanted people celebrating each other. He wanted people loving each other. He wanted unity within the body, unity over their purpose, unity over their mission, unity over the life that they have in Jesus. That's what he was concerned about. But he understood that there are not always those who are willing to repent. And that he may have had to come and create the ten, um, tension to create division within the church over those who refused to repent of their sinful behavior. Paul loved the church. Paul wanted the best for the church. Paul was being willing to be misunderstood by the church. Paul was willing to confront the church. Paul was willing to do things that he did not necessarily want to do because he loved them. 
And he did all this because he found his fulfillment fully in Jesus. He did all this because he was not concerned about needing to find provision for anything in his life from these people. He just simply wanted Jesus to be magnified in their life. So the question I want to leave with you, and I don't even know if this is the right question or not, but this is what I got today. Where do I find my fulfillment? Where do I find my fulfillment? Am I looking towards other people to fill me in what God himself can only fill? Or do I find myself free to give up my preferences for the benefit of someone else? Do I find myself fighting for what I like? Or do I wake up with the desire to know Jesus and help people to know him? I think many of us do. And I think that's shown in a lot of ways here. We have been a few years now without a youth pastor slash director in this church. You know what's happened in our youth ministry? It's grown. It's grown. You know why that is? Because people served. People decided, you know what? Sunday night, I could be uh, relaxing, watching the Cowboys get beat. (laughs) Or I could give that up to serve people who need to know Jesus. You know what? Wednesday evening, man, that would be a good evening for me to drop my kids off and just go on a date. But people show up. Why? Because this life is too short for me not to invest in someone else receiving the message that I received. The Lord is doing great things in our midst. And he's not doing it because the leadership here have the right magic, the right um, business plan. It's because God is working in the hearts of his people to begin to shift their mindset on what I need onto what I can give. He's doing amazing things. He will continue to do amazing things if we make him our focus. Now, since I'm speaking of the children's ministry, 
and I just remembered I forgot to announce something. I have some really, really exciting news. Uh, the elders have sent an offer uh, to a man who is graduating in December uh, to be our next youth director. And um, some of you don't know this, but we've been praying a long time. And we've been waiting for the right person. And we've been seeking the Lord, and many of you have do that, and I just want to say thank you. For your decision to spend your time not watching Netflix, but praying. For your decision to uplift and up, uh, uphold the desire of the leadership here, to find the right person. Um, his name is Harrison Clark. He's graduating University of Karen, Karen University, former biblical, uh, Philadelphia Biblical University, December 16th. Um, he's a young guy, really into Star Wars, has a couple lightsabers, so if you're ever uh, stranded on Dagobah, he could help you out. Um, and he's just a man who deeply loves Jesus and wants to share that love with people who find themselves in junior and high school. Um, I was going to FaceTime him in, but I don't know if this is the right time. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited for you guys to get to know him. I'm excited for what the Lord has in store here. I'm excited for us to continue seeking Jesus above all else and helping other people do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. Lord, I thank you that we have freedom in you, that you don't expect us to have it all together all the time. You expect us to come to you in our weakness and our need and that you come up and you fill the lack. Lord, I thank you for your word that calls us to give because you've given us everything that we need, that calls us to seek to help others to know you, to follow you, and to serve you. So Lord, I ask that you would lead us, that you guide us, that you keep us dependent on you. We trust you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.